grew up towards Howland, um, so down just a little bit. Stacy grew up in Zealand. But, but, but when you're in a small town, we have a certain type of vernacular, don't we? Kind of where, depends on where you go around the country. Even though Stacy and I grew up less than 10 minutes apart from each other, I grew up in a small rural part of Holland to the north. She grew up in suburbia, uh, Zealand, in a, in a subdivision, blue-collar type of uh, community. And every time that I would say, I'm going to Cousin Tom's farm, she would look at me and say, Cousin Tom, who says that? <laughs> so we did. It wasn't my Cousin Tom, it was just Cousin Tom. I'd also say, hey, can you come over for dinner today? She's, sure, I'll be there around 6 o'clock. I'm like, no, dinner is at lunch. Supper is in the evening. (laughs) Many in my community would like to, so you you get a little understanding from my vocabulary. Uh, In my community, a lot of people like to add R's to words, like I'm going to wash the hogs. And there's a lot of other ones that we added ours to. But, but one of the words that was used a lot, or phrase, that was used in the 70s and 80s as I was growing up, and it came from a TV show from earlier than that, was the real McCoy. How many have ever heard that phrase, the real McCoy? Okay, a lot of the older people, younger people are like, no idea what you're talking about. Um, so real McCoy. So I had a farmer that I worked for. And we would go drive down the dirt road, and we'd go past a neighbor's farm, and he would say, to, say, boys, right there is the real McCoy. Meaning, that farm is an authentic representation of what a farm should be, one that we should try to copy. Another time, I was watching my dad's um, fast-pitch softball team. They had a really good team, and they did a lot of playing um, around the Grand Rapids area. But once in a while, they faced a team that had a phenomenal pitcher. And I remember standing along the fence as a young boy watching the team, and a group of my dad's players were right there. And one of the guys, the players on the team, looked at the rest of the guys, and he said, that pitcher right there, he's the real McCoy. Meaning, he's a great representation of what it means to pitch. He could take the ball and he could rise it and he could curve it and he could do weird things like, they say this is more natural. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it is, but it, that's what they say. But he could whip that ball in there and he was a real McCoy. Now when we come to the New Testament, we won't find that phrase real McCoy anywhere in the pages. But I can tell you that there is one element about the New Testament that absolutely has to be the real McCoy, and it's the gospel. We cannot get the gospel wrong. The gospel has to be understood for what it is. So today... And as we continue to study Galatians, we will learn more and more about what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. Is the gospel the real McCoy in your life? If somebody looks at you, do they say that person is the exact representation of what the gospel is all about? When people look at FBC in this community, do they say FBC is an exact representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
So we will look at that and we will explore that. But I need to summarize where we've been uh, the last couple weeks because we came out of Easter and we're starting a new series and we're going to be in this series basically up to a Labor Day weekend. And there's going to be Sundays we have off, Mother's Day, Grad Sunday, a couple missionaries coming. But we're, we're going through an epistle, which is a, it's a letter, but more specifically an instructional letter, an epistle that Paul had written to the churches in southern Galatia. And we're going through this epistle line by line, word by word, because we believe the Word of God has power. Every Word of God was given to us for a specific reasoning. So while he was in um, Galatia, where the round circle is, he pla Paul planted a number of churches. Now Paul had just accepted Christ a few years earlier and God sends him out on this amazing missionary journey and he starts to tell Christ to the Gentile people not just to the Jews but the Gentile and people start flocking to Jesus so he starts churches he plants churches in southern Galatia and then he he moves around to different areas and we're going to keep coming back to his missionary journey over and over and over While they were converted, after they were converted, there's a lot of things that kind of came up. There, there, was, there was, Paul preached the gospel, and then there's this, Paul left like he always did because he went to different towns, and then there's people that came into the church. I believe they're believers. They're, 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 they're um, men from James is what... Um, Galatians 2 calls them. Um, they're, they're Judaizers. So they're, they're, they're people that, that believed the Messiah, but they thought you had to add this and this and this and this to the gospel. That you had to act a certain way. That you, you, did, you didn't drink. You didn't do all these things. And Paul's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just wanted to share the gospel with you. And now there's people coming in adding to the gospel. And he writes the scathing letter. He's back in Antioch because he had left the church. And he gets word about what's happening in the church. And he writes this scathing letter to the church saying, what is going on? What has happened here? What, what, what are you, what are, you've lost this first love. And that's what we're studying in this book of, of uh, Galatians. Now, I said the first week of this series, series Galatians 4.19 is kind of the, our, our, our verse that we keep coming back to. I don't have a big theme for this series, but Galatians 4.19 talks about how Paul talks about he, how he so badly wants the people to become fully formed in Jesus. That he doesn't want all these extra things. He wants Jesus to be fully formed in them. And that happens only through the gospel, the real McCoy, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So last week, we dove into the first five verses. We had seven baptisms, so we didn't get through all five verses. So I want to go back. I want to read one through five and then six through ten as we're going to study that for today. And I'm going to come back to this table week after week because I want you to remind a reminder that Paul has written this, this epistle not just to the Galatian church, but for us as well. 
for you and I sitting in the pews, living our lives in the 21st century. It's for us as well. So join me. I'm just going to read it. I want you to pretend that Paul is writing, not pretend, I want you to know that Paul is writing this letter to you. So verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I, for I am now seeking the approval of man or God, or am I trying to please man? If I are still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, these are your words written to the Galatian church 2,000 years ago, but they're for us as well today. So help us have eyes to see what you're trying to teach us, ears to hear that, that uh, words that you want. But God, most of all, our heart to desperately want to know Jesus better, to understand his gospel better, to want to live for him. A, a mind that's not confused but clearly understands what the gospel is and that can make a choice to follow after Christ wholeheartedly. Father, you love us. I want to love you with all my heart, mind, and soul in return. So, Father, as I preach, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be, be pleasing to you because you are my God, my rock, and my redeemer. Thank you for each one here today, each one online, each one in the overflow. Father, may they... May they move closer to you as well, wherever they are in their faith walk. I'm glad they're here. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So it starts out Paul. And I spent a lot of time last week just talking about Paul. But I wanted to show you this next picture. So this is Paul, if you haven't met Paul before. See his crooked nose, his unibrow we talked about last week. He's a fragile man. So, so Sarah Reed was doing some doodling during the service last week. And afterwards she said, here's Paul. Now I put this up there because it's a good reminder, not of just who Paul is, but it's a good reminder of how we all learn, right? When, when my brother, who is 14 months younger than me, we were in the same class all through a small Christian school. So we're 7th grade, 8th grade, 5th grade, 6th grade. One year, about middle school, the, our, our math teacher just yelled at my brother, Rob, pay attention! And Rob's like, I am paying attention. But he's there writing and doodling and drawing and all that. And so the, the teacher is like, oh, I got him, you know. So he asked him this really off, hard question. And Rob's just like, whoop, he knew the answer. He was listening. 
So I love to see this. I love to see doodling. I love to see, maybe if you've got a coloring page Bible, taking notes, whatever that looks like. Invest in what we're teaching. We, we have these Galatian journals. There's about 20 of them left over there in the borrowed and bought. These are free. If you want to follow along, if you want to write notes alongside the verses, if you want to mark up your Bibles, great. We also include notes every Sunday. These notes for Galatian, uh, Galatians is going to look different than our other series because I want you, um, I'll, I'll give you the verse, and I want you to write the notes alongside of it with a few points here and there. So if, if you want one of these epistle things now, feel free to go get them. Um, otherwise, grab one later. So Paul... An apostle is how it started how it started off last week. Meaning, hey, God is the one that has given me the authority to write this. It's not from men, it's not through men, but God has given me the authority to write this uh, this this epistle. But then he says in verse three, and this is where we kind of stopped last week. So I'm gonna kind of fly through three, four, and five until we get to our text today. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a phrase that should be familiar to us if we read the Word of God, because we read it in every one of Paul's epistles. He is writing to the people that have been saved, that have given their life to Jesus Christ. And then he writes to them, grace to you. And grace, we sang about it this morning, grace is unmerited favor. Notice Paul doesn't say, you secured the grace. You did something and, and the grace was given to you. You earned that grace. No, he, he doesn't say that. He says, this is something from God for us as a believer. He's the one that gave us grace. But he didn't only give us grace, he gave us peace from God. He tore down the walls of hospitality, hostility between God and us. The, the, the division that sin put between us, God sent his son and he tore that down so that we could have his peace. Peace is lacking in this world, isn't it? Not just globally, but in people's hearts as well. They wrestle. They, they, it's, maybe you're right now. Maybe you do things to numb the pain that's in your heart. God wants to give you his grace and his peace. There's nothing, nothing better. And it's not something that he did not something we did. It's from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We should, as believers, wake up as the most privileged and humble people in the world every single day. Amazed that the God who spoke billions of galaxies into existence with one word, with one voice, has given us his grace and his peace. The profoundness that Almighty God would do that just blows my mind. And then he says in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Just a few words here that says so much. Who gave himself. This is Almighty God stepping out for you and me. We did not deserve it. We weren't even looking for it. And he, he gave himself 
Why? Why did he give himself? For our sins. For our sins. Have you heard of anything that you're doing yourself yet? In this passage, anything about what you have to do. It's all about what God's doing. So he gave himself for our sins. People might not like the word sins in our culture, but we all know we're broken, right? If we blow it one time, we can maybe call it an oops. Do it again, it's a mistake. Some of us have done the same thing hundreds of times. That does not make us mistakers. That means there is something fundamentally wrong inside of us that needs to be repaired, that needs to be delivered. And the Bible says that we have all sinned. We're all sinners. So Jesus gave himself for our sins to what? To deliver us. There's power in the gospel. There's power in the transformational nature of what Jesus does in our hearts and in our lives when he moves in and then we say, yes, I want to follow you. That's our role. Yes. Jesus doesn't, he just doesn't meet us where we're at. He just doesn't leave us where we are. It starts here. And then he begins to transform us. He delivers us from the present evil age. We, we need to download that. And I did the first week a little bit, and we'll do more throughout this series. But Richard B. Hayes says, says this. Jesus' death did not simply procure the forgiveness of sins, which it did, amen? Rather, it transposes us into an entirely new reality by liberating us from the power of the present age of evil. With Jesus living in us, he's liberated us from this evil age. We don't have to struggle. We have answers. We're not hopeless. There's huge power, power in this. And then he goes on, that's God's plan. It's always been God's plan. According to the will of God, our Father, the verse continues on. So all things that have happened, the fall, the sacrifice, the circumcision, the law, the death of Jesus, they were all God's plans to deliver us from this evil age. Every one of them. It's how God wanted it to happen. And then we ended last week with this phrase in verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Understanding what God has done. Verse 4 that we just read. What he delivered us from. Should always lead us to worship. Always. Which is exactly what he says. Hey, I delivered you. Now give God all the glory. Your whole life. Your words. How you treat your spouse. How you raise your kids. Give God the glory through that. So that's the first five verses as Paul sets up this text. So then we go to verse 6. What I want to do is I'm, I will put the verse up, we'll read it together, and then we'll talk about it. And then I got a big application at the end. So verse 6, let's read it together. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ 
and are turning to a different gospel. This is not astonishment in a positive, uh, positive way. The word means to marvel, to be amazed in a negative way. I can't believe what's happening, Paul says. I'm shocked by the way that you Galatians, who, who gave your lives to Jesus, now are turning to something. You're deserting him. The idea of quickly here means speed. You did not take time to process it. You did not think what you were doing. You are just going ahead and deserting Jesus. Desert means to, 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 to turn away. It means to abandon. In the original language, it, it, it's in the present tense. So they are in the process of deserting him. Now Paul, Paul writes them wanting to stop them from deserting. But stop them from deserting him. He, he, he doesn't say you're so quickly deserting a belief system. You're so quickly deserting what he taught them. You're so quickly deserting your performance, your ethics, your morals. He says, I am astonished that you are deserting him. A, a person. A relationship. We should, we should stop and we should pause here. Is there anything in my life, I'm speaking to those of you that are believers, are there anything in my life that points to the fact that I might be deserting him, that I'm not living fully for him, that he's not fully being formed in my life? Paul is calling the Galatian church out on this. I am so astonished that you are qu quickly deserting him who called you. He's saying, God is the one that called you. He's the one that took the initiative to speak to you. He's the one that took the initiative to prick your heart and nudge you and draw him towards you. Notice, Paul is the one that preached to the Galatians, but he is very clear he's not the one that called the Galatian church. Just as I'm the one preaching to you, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to be working in your heart. If you have ears to hear. Let me say this. Everybody that preaches the word of God or, or teaches the word of God or shares the gospel, and that should be every one of us, it's our responsibility to share him it's God's responsibility for the results. Say it with me. It's my responsibility to share him. It's God's responsibility for the results. Paul said, he, Jesus, God, is the one that has called you, not me. And then he goes on. <coughs> Sorry. Called you in the grace of God, and now you're turning to a different gospel. A lot of questions here. What constitutes a different gospel? How would we know? When does it become a different gospel? When we read something like this, we got to, things need to be going in our mind. What's going on here? What's Paul talking about? And then in verse 7, he clarifies it. He, let's read this with me. Not that there is another one, 
but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He clears it up by saying, there is not another one. What these Judaizers are telling you makes it look like another gospel. But there really is not another gospel. There's only one gospel. Say it with me. There's only one gospel. But there are some. Some is plural. It's a group of people who have come in. And what they're doing is troubling you. They're creating angst in the church. You thought you knew what the gospel was. You, were, you heard it from Paul. You gave your life to it. But now there's people that are coming in that are making you question it. They're giving you doubts. Maybe what I put my eternity in, hope of eternity, maybe wasn't quite right. There are some of you that are, are, are coming in and troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus. They want to take the one and only true gospel and they want to change it. They want to turn it. They want to make it different. Another question. Do we ever trouble people with a different gospel? When you're sharing Christ, what are you sharing? What are the expectations? Is there, is there uh, things in our lives that might be saying to other, maybe even Christians, and we're weighing them down and we're troubling them with things. We have to understand what the gospel is. We need to get the gospel right. It's serious business. And then Paul gives a hypothetical situation in verse 8. Let's read this one together. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That is strong. But even if we or an angel from heaven, if we, anyone in my group, Paul says, my brothers, my sisters that are writing to you, or even an angel in heaven should preach, not that they are, but if they do, let them be, what? Accursed. That's a difficult word. It means the person should be devoted to destruction by God. It's that serious. Even if we, accursed, even if angels, accursed. I can't begin to tell you how difficult that word is. Powerful. The gospel is serious business. We have to get this right. And Paul is hot. It's not like if you want to eat some meat, go ahead. If you don't want to eat meat, that's okay. If you want to worship on Saturday, that's okay. Romans 14, if you want to worship on Sunday, that's okay. Paul's saying there's some intangibles that Christians can disagree on, but not this. Not the gospel. This is serious. And then he goes on in verse 9, and he says this. Let's read it together. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. He uses that again. These Judaizers have come in, and they're preaching this adding to this gospel. And Paul says, let them be accursed. 
Paul wants us to feel the weight of this. Do you feel it? And then verse, verse 10. Read it with me. For I am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So remember, these, these people that came in the church were saying, Paul's just a people pleaser. And Paul's like, really? After I, what, I just told you, you still think I'm a people pleaser? He says, no way. I am not trying to please man. I'm trying to please Christ because I'm a servant of Christ. All right, so that's the text. So what do we do with this? And I want us to really evaluate the gospel. The gospel needs to be taken with utmost seriousness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the first importance, knowing what the gospel is and is not, knowing when the gospel is being compromised and when it's not, so that what we tell people when we share the gospel, when our lives live the gospels, that we are authentic followers of Jesus is hugely, hugely important. Here's the unfortunate thing. When most people in America say, that church over there is preaching the gospel, what they're really saying is, that church believes this and this and this and this and this, and they agree with what I agree with. The gospel is not a catchphrase for all the things that we believe. The gospel does not include your view of Genesis 1. Now, I am very strong that Genesis 1 is seven or six literal days, and it's foundational to the rest of the scriptures. The gospel does not include our views of end times. The gospel does not include a number of things that we try to make it include. The gospel in the New Testament is used in two ways. And to understand this, it's imperative. So track with me as I apply this. Entry and story. Say that with me. Entry and story. So let me, let me explain what these mean. Entry is when you read a passage of scripture where it says, they preached the gospel and people responded. Or people ask them, what shall I do to be saved? And they say, repent and believe. If we get the entry part wrong, then everything else we do around the gospel will be wrong. The gospel is, what do I do to be saved? That's the entry. The gospel is also talked about in story. The overarching narrative of what God is doing how he's delivering in verse 4. Like when Jesus was, was talking and preaching about the gospel, and, it, and, and they were talking, what does it mean for Jesus to be king? And Jesus is sharing what that looks like. Or, or, or Paul in Romans 16:1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And from Romans 1 through 11, Paul is laying out the story of the gospel. How God is redeeming the world. How it was, had fallen. How Jesus is the good news. How he brings all things back. The gospel has entry, and the gospel also has story. Make sense? 
Keep tracking with me. If we don't understand these, we will get it wrong. We, our eternal destiny will be wrong. If Paul were to drop by Heart FBC right now, would he say, great job getting the gospel right? Or would he write us a scathing letter as well? So let's talk a little bit about entry. A little more depth here. When we talk about entry to the gospel, basically we're saying, how does one become right with God? If you are not a believer here this morning, this is a very important question. And please just, just give us a mind spot to this. Think about what I'm going to say. How does one become right with God? There's three elements to entry. Message, response, and transformation. Here's the way it works. The message is always the same. 2 Corinthians 5, 3. For what I, passed on, what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We just heard that in Galatians. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Anything else we add is not gospel. This is the good news. The what do I have to do to be saved? You hear this message. God draws your heart and you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that this is true. That's, that's entry. That's, that's the message. Think about the thief on the cross. Jesus wasn't like, hey, how did you vote in the last Galilean election? Not at all. What's your political affiliation? What do you do? No, it's this. Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? The message is always the same. Now when the message goes out, there's always a response. Our response has eternal consequences. Number one, it could be, no, I don't believe this. You may answer that way, but you will spend eternity in hell, apart from Jesus Christ, apart from God the Father. People also tell me when I was a youth pastor all the time, well, I'm just not ready. Well, then you're answering no. Because if you die and you haven't got this settled, the true biblical response that shows that we've been called by God is belief and repentance. Belief and repentance. Belief is trust. We're, we are trusting that the message is going to make things right with God, that God did this for us. And repentance is you're living your life one way and you turn around and you start living for Jesus. That came from the word, in that day the king would come in and the army would come in and they would destroy a city and then they would send out letters and messengers and say, hey, your city's been taken over, you need to repent, you need to turn and you need to start following a new king. That's what that means. And that's what God is asking us to do with our lives. The message is Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day. The response, belief and repentance determines our eternal destiny. If belief and repentance is genuine, the Holy Spirit takes up residence and our lives become transformed. And this is a process. 
but immediately we become a new creation and the Holy Spirit starts working in our lives. That's the entry part of the gospel. When we come to the story part of the gospel, it's what God is doing. God created the world. It was beautiful. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. Became not what God intended it. Now, the first couple walked away. If Adam and Eve had not sinned, the Bible would be Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelations 21 and 20. It would be a very small pamphlet. We wouldn't need a Savior because we would be... But there's sin. So this is also part of the good news. This, this, this story, the gospel. Jesus will return. So it's now, we're living the story, and it's not yet. We'll live the story forever with Christ in heaven. But in the meantime, we are heritors of this good news. There's nothing that we could do to enter into the story on our own. Salvation is Christ alone because of his grace alone, through faith alone. That's how we are made right with God, period. Right? Nothing else. And once you enter, you're part of the story. And there's restoration going on in our lives. And if we enter the story, God has kind of these expectations, how he wants us to live. This weekend is the Beauty and Beast play drama at the high school. Can you imagine if one of the girls got up on stage and started doing her own thing? Everybody would be like, that's not the story. It's the same thing when we as believers, when we enter the story and we start living how we want to live and we don't care what God says, we're like, no. That's not God's story. God gives us lines. God gives us, in his word, how he wants us to live. He gives us grace when we fail. Because I fail over and over. But we're part of his story. All right, just a little bit more. Sorry, this is longer than I thought. I timed it at 31 minutes. The story and... That's why we take this so seriously at FBC. We, we want to be hospitable neighbors. We want to teach what we do because of the gospel and the story. We sing what we sing. We, 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 we want be, to be generous. We want to evangelize. We want to make disciples. Because we want to know people to know that it's about Jesus. It's not about us. So then I go back to entry. Message. Response, transformation. If we don't get this right, we're in trouble. Anything that takes away or distracts or diminishes him and his story, that's a problem. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Say that with me. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But let me make it even more clear. Jesus plus something equals no gospel. Say that with me. Jesus plus something equals no gospel. And I'm talking entry here. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 
Let's never confuse what makes one a Christian with what one should live like as a Christian. They're two separate parts that God intertwines, and it's beautiful. If we do, we're just saddling things on people, and Paul would look at us and say, Oh, no! That's not the gospel. Let God and his transforming work work in somebody's heart. It's not your job. Entry and story. Entry is Savior. Story is Lord. Jesus needs to be our Savior and our Lord. How's he our Savior? Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. How's he our Lord? We are part of his story. We are part of his story. If we can get the entry and the story right, amazing things will happen here at FBC. Martin Luther read the epistle of Galatians. And out of that, after he read it, the great Reformation started, and people came to Christ in droves because of gr grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone. And then people started living out the story. All right, to end, have you ever got the entry right? Have you ever got the entry right? Maybe you grew up in a church and you heard about God talked about often. And you know things about God. But have you ever said, I'm hinging my eternity on what God and God alone has done. Nothing that I have done. Doesn't matter if we come every single week to church. Doesn't matter if I do enough good deeds. It's only about Jesus and his grace alone. Have you ever got the entry right? Why not this morning? And then believers, is your life heralding the story of the gospel? Maybe if you've entered the story but your life does not reflect it, don't ever let your life distract people from the gospel. Your life needs to herald the story of the gospel. The gospel is the real McCoy. May that be said of in all of our lives. And I believe that Paul would look at Heart FBC and he would say, Yes! You preach the gospel. Now go and live it out. Let's pray. Father, Paul was so passionate about making sure the church understood what the real gospel was. May we be as well. And then, Father, individually, I pray for all those in here that have yet to put their faith and trust in you. Maybe this morning it's a little bit more clear the, the, what that looks like. It's about you, Jesus. So maybe this morning, may, the, the, their, may, their, may their life have like a, a, a period right here where they, where they add, where they, not add, where they, where they accept you as their personal Savior and they do it by faith because of your grace. And then, Father, watch out what you do 
It's an amazing ride. Thank you, Father, for saving me. Thank you, Father, for your salvation and for the free gift. And we love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.